Amen. Good morning. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that we can come together this morning. I thank you for this opportunity that I've had to ponder and pray about your word and, and learn more about it. We thank you for the words you have given us in the Bible that help us learn more about you. Pray that um, you would be with me this morning and that I might share more about you that will help us all understand how much you love us and how you are our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, uh, Trevor talked about the glorious freedom of the pasture that Jesus leads us into. He reminded us that Jesus comes to find his sheep, and he calls each sheep by name because, he says, I am the door of the sheepfold. Well, today we'll be talking about the next nine verses where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And these are part of, or this is part of Jesus' seven I am statements, where he was helping the Jews and the others who were listening, helping them understand that he was indeed the divine Messiah, fully human and fully God. Earlier in John, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and I am the light of the world. And now he says, I am the good shepherd. And he actually says it twice in these verses. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Jesus says he has come to care for his sheep that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what does that mean when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd? Well, in 2021 in Montreal, we don't tend to run into shepherds uh, at the park or on the street. Of course, there are still shepherds working in different parts of the world, but they're not really a part of our world here. Um, they're not generally in the city. And even though I myself am a city girl, I have my own shepherding experience I want to tell you about. So four years ago, last May, Scott and I went back to Scotland to celebrate our 10th wedding anniversary. And we were hiking on the Isle of Skye on the west coast of Scotland. It's a gorgeous place. And on this particular day, after a long day of hiking, we cleaned ourselves up and we walked down from our B&B, down the hill, to the water, where there was a sweet little restaurant. It was in a stone croft from the 1700s. And we had a, a wonderful dinner. And, and after we finished, as dusk was falling, we left the restaurant and, and we hiked up that steep hill back towards our bed and breakfast. And we thought we could see sheep in the distance. And I have a slide to show you this. Daniel, could you please bring up this slide? Or maybe it already is, that's great. I want you to take a close look at it. You can see the sheep behind the fence grazing. And if you look in the distance, you can see the water. That's where we were for our dinner. But look again. You can see there's actually some sheep in the road outside of the fence where they're not supposed to be. They're just wandering along, checking out some new territory when they should be in the shepherd or in the sheepfold with the other sheep. Now, as we came up the hill, we could see that the farmers were trying to drive them back in towards that fenced in area. 
And clearly, we must have looked like tourists because they called out to us and said, do you speak English? And uh, so we said, yes, maybe I should have said I. And they asked if we could help round up the sheep, get them back into the sheepfold. So it was kind of haphazard, but we all tried to kind of push the sheep and keep them from going farther up the road and back towards that fenced area where they were supposed to be. I think we might have helped. Uh, the sheep definitely didn't know us and they did their best to ignore us. Eventually, I think we had done all we could and the farmer said, it, it's okay, you guys can go on. Uh, we'll try a new tactic here. So we don't know what happened next. All we know is that when we woke up the next morning and we looked out the window of our bed and breakfast, we could see that the sheep were back into their fenced area. Daniel, if you could take down that slide now, please. Now let's go back to our passage of John chapter 10, verses 10 to 18. Jesus says he has come that his sheep may have life and have it abundantly, because he is the good shepherd. So what did that mean to the people he was talking to? Well, the Jewish people listening would have heard those words and said, oh, okay, he's saying that he is the king, and we are his people. In the Old Testament, the picture of a shepherd and his sheep was often used to refer to a king and his people. And of course, we heard the prophecy earlier in Ezekiel, where it talked all about the good shepherd. And indeed, in Jesus' time in the Old Testament, the ideal king was pictured as a shepherd, a shepherd who knew his sheep, and his sheep knew him. And to understand more about that, I want to tell you a bit more about how shepherding was done in Jesus' time and is actually still done in the Middle East today. It's very different from how we think of shepherding here in the West, where there's generally a sheepdog that drives the sheep back towards the fold or wherever that dog wants them to go, when the farmer wants them to go. In the Middle East, when a shepherd wants to gather his sheep together, he goes into the crowded sheepfold and he stands there and he calls each sheep by name. And the sheep know him because they spend so much time with him. So they follow his voice because they know his voice. If you or I went into that crowded sheepfold and we called the sheep even by name, they wouldn't respond to us because they don't know us. They wouldn't recognize our voice. Now, once the shepherd calls his sheep, he walks ahead of them and the sheep follow. He doesn't need to drive them anywhere. They follow willingly. Now, as I said, in the Old Testament, this picture of the shepherd knowing his sheep and his sheep knowing him was often used to refer to the king and his people. And if you think about it, that's very different from how we see leadership today. You know, think of the CEO of a big company, maybe the Bank of Montreal. Let's say you've been a customer for 30 years. You still wouldn't expect to recognize the CEO. His name is Daryl White, by the way. You wouldn't expect to recognize him if you passed him on the street, and you certainly wouldn't expect him to recognize you, even though you'd been his customer all that time. Same thing goes for the Prime Minister, and I mean the Canadian Prime Minister. Even if you voted for Justin Trudeau, or maybe you didn't, but he's in charge of our country, you wouldn't expect Justin Trudeau to recognize you if you passed him on the street in Westmount. 
But in Jesus' time, it was thought that a good king did know his people, just like a good shepherd knew his sheep. And to illustrate this, I want to show you a picture of one of the earliest surviving images of Jesus as the good shepherd. I think Daniel's bringing it up now. Yes, great. This is from the second century AD, and it shows Jesus as the good shepherd, although he's a shepherd of goats here, not sheep. And you can see two goats are at his feet, and one goat is over his shoulders. Isn't that an intimate image with the goat over his shoulders? It reminds me of a dad who has his toddler sitting up high on his shoulders, you know, so the toddler gets a ride around and can see everything. Now, as I mentioned before, I, or I've talked about these frescoes before, they're from the catacombs in Rome, and they were tunnels, underground burial sites where the persecuted early church would gather, and where they would keep their actions a secret. So they developed secret symbols so that the authorities wouldn't understand what they were doing in the same way. And those symbols included an anchor and a fish and breaking bread to signify communion, and these images showed Christ and other holy figures in ways that wouldn't have been as obvious to their persecutors. So here, the early church is showing they understand that Jesus is the true Messiah, the King, by showing him as a good shepherd. And in our passage today, in John, Jesus essentially asks the question, he says, how will you tell God's true appointed King when he comes? Because anyone can call themselves a leader but jesus had the right to call himself the good shepherd the messiah and he he tells this parable in john to show that the sign of a real king is the response that comes from his people when his people hear his voice they recognize it and they follow it just like the sheep follow the shepherd now, Jesus calls himself not only a shepherd, but a good shepherd, the good shepherd. So why does he take so much care to add that word good? Well, if I asked you what the opposite of good is, what would you say? You'd probably say bad or evil. In English, the word good has a strong moral tone, so it can sound a bit cold and hard. But the word that John is using here, it not only means good, it also means beautiful. And the theologian N.T. Wright says, you know, that beautiful sense of the word, it doesn't necessarily refer to how Jesus looked, but to how attractive his actions were. So what were the actions of a good shepherd? Well, Jesus says he has come that his sheep, his people may have life and they may have it abundantly. And not only that, he will lay down his own life for his people. And those beautiful actions make him the good shepherd. But Jesus says there are also false shepherds, false kings and messiahs that try to lead the people astray. And how do you, fought, how do you spot a false shepherd? Well, by their actions, again in contrast to the beautiful actions of the good shepherd. The false shepherd flees at the first sign of danger. He sees a wolf and he runs away and he leaves the vulnerable sheep exposed and defenseless against that wolf that wants to snatch them and scatter them apart. The false sheep 
doesn't care, or sorry, the false shepherd doesn't care for his sheep because he's a hired hand. You know, he doesn't own them, so he runs at the first sign of danger. And that leads us into our poem, our sonnet for today by the poet Malcolm Geit. Malcolm says that when he read this passage in John, he responded with a cry of pain, a lament for all the false shepherds who have led the church astray and have betrayed it over the years. Because the word pastor, it actually means shepherd. And these leaders had a duty to care for their flock. But instead, they cared only for themselves, and they left that flock open to being snatched and scattered. And that really casts a shadow on the church as a whole. And it stands in stark contrast to the good shepherd, Jesus. So let me read this sonnet for you. I am the good shepherd. When so much shepherding has gone so wrong, so many pastors hopelessly astray, the weak so often preyed on by the strong, so many bruised and broken on the way, the very name of shepherd seems besmeared. The fold and flock themselves are torn in half. The lambs we left to face all we have feared are caught between the wasters and the wolf. Good shepherd, now your flock has need of you. One finds the fold and 99 are lost out in the darkness and the icy dew. And no one knows how long this night will last. Restore us, call us back to you by name. And by your life laid down, redeem our shame. Malcolm finishes his poem there with a prayer, a desperate call to the good shepherd, come and find your scattered sheep and bring them back to life. And this is not a prayer in vain. Jesus promises that he is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep and his sheep know him. We need his protection. We need to hear his voice and follow him and become one of the flock. And when Jesus spoke these words in John, he was making a terrible promise and a beautiful promise. He was making preparations to give up his own life for his people, the ultimate sacrifice of the good shepherd. And this brings to mind Jesus' other parable where he says he will leave the 99 sheep who are safe and search for that one, that one sheep that is lost and vulnerable. And when he finds that sheep, he will carry it home on his shoulders and rejoice. It gives God great joy to find that lost sheep whom he loves. Now, I've been reading... Um, a wonderful book called The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. It's inspired by the famous Rembrandt painting of the lost son returning home. And Henry Nouwen, he says, you know, we as people, we struggle to find God. We struggle to know God. We struggle to love God. And so often we fail. But, but we try again and again. And even when we're close to despair, we just struggle and try to find God. But do we realize that all along, God has been trying to find us? 
God has been trying to know us. He has been trying to love us. What if we change the question from how do I find God to how can I let myself be found by him? As Henry Nouwen says, God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me and longing to bring me home. These words in John that we're looking at today, in these words, Jesus puts the emphasis on God's initiative. The good shepherd goes out looking for the lost sheep. God wants to find me as much as I want to find him, even more. Our God is not some wise old man in the sky, watching the world go by from a great distance, seeing the sheep wander away from the sheepfold and into the road. We need to stop thinking of our God as hiding out, of, of making it hard to find him, and recognize that he is looking for each of us. Well, perhaps we're hiding. Can we accept that we are worth looking for? Each of us is a precious sheep to the good shepherd. Remember, it would increase God's joy to find you, to have him carry you home on his shoulders to celebrate. Jesus says he is the good shepherd. He has come that we may have life and have it abundantly. So what does abundant life look like for you? Is it letting yourself be found by the good shepherd? Is it letting the good shepherd rejoice in you because you are part of his flock? We know his voice and he knows us. In verse 17, Jesus says that he will, take, he will lay down his life and take it up again. And Jesus emphasizes that he does this of his own accord. No one takes it from me, he says. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, he chooses us because he loves us. He wants to draw us to him. And he will do whatever it takes, even laying down his life, to give us abundant life in him. For me, this whole passage in John is a call for us as his people to listen for his voice and to find overflowing life in him because he is our good shepherd. Remember his promises in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.